Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show, your weekly fix of great chats with industry-leading experts, jam-packed as always with wellness wisdom that you can trust. Well, thank you as ever for your comments and feedback. Sally Evans in Bordeaux, no less, has been in touch and she says, quote, I admit I've been enjoying the show for a long time and never got around to reviewing. Apologies. Well, thanks for doing it now, Sally. But this recent episode on Queen ages really forced me to write. I totally changed my life in my 50s after a corporate life and my kids left home. I started studying wine for the first time. Then I bought vines and some old buildings, dot, dot, dot. Wow, what happened next? Well, Sally says that she makes three wines and runs a wine tourism business. And she goes on to say, I hit 60 last month. I have so much energy and so many more ideas of projects to come. So Queenagers, come on, let's show them what we're made of. Thank you, Liz, for another inspiring show. Well, thank you, Sally. Love that. Life begins at 60, maybe. And if you too are enjoying the podcast, if you'd like to share your views, do leave a comment. You can find me on social media. I'm at Lizelle Me or at Lizelle Wellbeing. You can leave a review, of course, on your preferred podcast platform because that really helps other people to find us and benefit from all that wonderful expert advice. Now, speaking of wonderful expert advice, today we are talking about what it is that makes us happy. My goodness, don't we need a bit of that right now? My great guest is the co-author of a new book coming out soon called The How of Happy, What Will Really Help You Lead a More Joyful Life. David Conrad is a public health consultant and he's teamed up with a comedy writer to provide an entertaining insight into a whole range of scientific studies from around the world, which have looked into what it is that makes us happy. So let's get on with it. David, big smiles. Welcome. Hi there. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. No, I'm so looking forward to this. And I guess I have to start with the the inevitable question. So what makes you happy? Always a bit of a tricky one to answer without uh, in danger of sounding like a middle-class, middle-aged cliche, you know, kind of a, a nice cup of tea and a sit-down, a glass of red wine and a trip to the theatre uh, and all those, <laughs> all those usual things. But I think probably the, the things that really make me happy throughout my life is when I'm being creative. I've always had the desire to create things and not always with uh, good end results you know so my my kind of very bad attempts at um, painting and uh, I actually got into Lego when I was 
during uh, lockdown as a way of uh, like so many yeah. who, who was, it? was it was it David Beckham who was also into Lego that's right yes yes he is a bit of a Lego fan and there's a whole community of um, men in basements building large Lego cities and uh, that's a good way to switch off and doing books of course as well which again is obviously a creative process well, I'm looking forward to hearing about how we can all hopefully be a little bit happier. But let's go back to your background. I said in the introduction that you're a public health consultant. What exactly does that mean? And, and what was your professional journey like? Yeah, so it's um, my journey has been a little bit uh, unusual. So it's um, a consultant in public health is a consultant in in the medical sense of the word consultant, but um, public health as a medical specialty is a little bit unusual because there's also roots into it for people who are not medical doctors by background and, and haven't come through that usual um, medical career path. And I'm very much one of those um, who came in through a different route. And uh, I first, well, my, my first thing I went to study when I was first a student at university was advertising and marketing, but I quickly realised that that wasn't my calling. And then I went into um, cultural studies and sociology and things like that and was very much kind of imagining that I'd go down a very different path in life. But um, then I got interested in the relationship between the arts and health and improving health. And that set me off in, in a different direction. And I ended up doing a, a master's degree in health promotion in Leeds. And then when I'd finished that, I started working for a professor of men's health at the university there. And, that, uh, and from there, I went down the path that's seen me where I am now as a consultant in public health. Really interesting. I'm particularly interested in your work with men's mental health. A good friend of mine is a guy called Tim Samuels, who you may have come across. He actually did a podcast for the BBC called All Hail Kale. And uh, his journey came about through having personal issues with depression and mental health and realising that as a young man, there was very little being talked about. And there is this sort of stigma of men who potentially don't chat to each other as much as women do. I mean, I, I don't know whether that I'm just being it's a sweeping generalization, gender type stereotyping. But do you think that that's true in your work? Do you think that there is more of a need for greater awareness for men's mental health now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I started off working with Professor Alan White in in Leeds, who was he was very much kind of one of the, one of the early pioneers in the area of, of men's health. And it's come a long way since then. You know, we talk about it a lot more. You get celebrities and sports mm, people. Particularly talking. for younger men, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But very much, we, you know, the work we were doing was focused on you know, looking at why men were sometimes more reluctant to talk about their health, more reluctant to access health services, you know, of, often you know, leaving problems, whether it be physical or mental health problems, uh, you know, until they were worse than they needed to be. So it's very much kind of, you know, one of those important um, areas where we want to see improvement. But but we have come a long way, I think, in the last few years. Yes, well, that's very encouraging to hear. And you call yourself, I've seen on Instagram, of course, I'm a big Instagram stalker of people, an occasional author. And you've written before, haven't you, with your partner on this particular book, the comedian and the writer Ariane Sharin. How did that come about, working with her? 
Yeah, so we just kind of got talking one day and uh, Ariane's job at the time was writing a regular health column for the public, which was all about presenting new ideas and developments in the health field in a fun way. And with my background in science side, we got talking about you know, sort of different interesting and unusual things out there in the scientific literature and realised that, you know, there could be a there could be a book in this. Well, the previous book that you did with Ariane is one that I actually am going to get on my bookshelf because it's called How to Live to 100. And Richard Osman described it as, quote, the perfect guide if you want to live a healthier, happier and longer life. So I sense a bit of a running theme there, this area of happiness and longevity. Do you link the two together? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, that book, like the new one on happiness, it's all about looking at kind of proper, credible pieces of scientific research and, and how we can apply the findings from these studies in our own lives to be healthier, whether physically or, or mentally. But the two are absolutely um, very closely linked. And, you know, we understand that now, I think, more than ever. So it's important that we, you know, that we, that we don't neglect one while trying to uh, pursue the other. Am I right in saying that I was looking at some research to do with Bhutan and apparently they measure their GDP or their kind of some of their national outputs in terms of happiness quotient and how happy their population is, which sounds like a pretty sensible thing to do, really, because I guess happy people lead to thriving communities and therefore economies. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it can seem like a, it's almost a frivolous thing to think about oh, happiness. You know, it seems like, you know, maybe a bit of a, a bit of a luxury, but actually it's absolutely um, crucial to having a, you know, not just, you know, healthy people, but a healthy society as well and healthy economy, you know, happier people are, are more productive if you, if you want to look at it from sort of a, you know, a hardcore economist uh, perspective. Absolutely. That's really interesting. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to chatting through some real helpful advice here. And it is helpful. I have read your book and it is brilliant. I love the fact that it's evidence based. I love the fact that each chapter looks at a different country, a different idea, a different study. And it's also very well written. And I guess with Ariane having a comedy background, because it says the synopsis starts with, and I quote, happiness as elusive as a working inkjet printer and as slippery as an eel covered in baby oil you know so you you get the theme here that it's it is a light-hearted look and it's I guess it's designed to make you smile is it because that's part of what we do when we're happy but then it's also backed up with real hardcore wellness factual information yeah absolutely it's um it's definitely intended to be a fun read um no, it's not just a manual. No, it's not just a manual, absolutely. I recommend it as a bedtime read, actually, because each each night you can have a new chapter and a new way of thinking about how to wake up a bit happier. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've designed the book so that it's split into lots of little kind of small mini chapters. So you can just dip in and out of it and pick the topics that you're interested in. So you, you don't need to uh, kind of plough through the whole thing in order. You, you know, you can if you want, but you can also dip in and out, which is a really good thing about it. Well, it is jam packed. I mean, you're, you're not pretending to be happiness gurus with your own theories or ideas on obtaining happiness. You've actually gone to a great deal of effort, clearly, to gather evidence 
from actual scientific studies. I think there are about 50 of them, aren't there, altogether? Yeah, that's right. So the books really is, is absolutely built around the science. And yeah, you know, we've put some fun stuff into it as well. But uh, we chose 50 proper academic research studies from the scientific literature, which each investigate a different potential influence on our happiness and general mental well-being. And then we describe what the researchers did and what their findings were. And then we talk about how we might apply this to our everyday lives. And I think a really important thing is that we're actually upfront about the limitations of these studies as well. So all research has got limitations and leaves some questions unanswered. And that that often gets glossed over when things like this are just being reported in the mainstream media. So, you know, the whole idea was that we're quite open with people and, and, and upfront about what we know and what we don't know. Love it. Um, I'll share a couple of examples here because they are fascinating. And I think they're very good conversation starters, actually. So you say that the studies have been carried out in different countries all over the world. And for example, you have a study that was carried out in America in 2013 And that was into avoiding fast food. So that's obviously going to get my attention immediately. And that study actually found that eating fast food does reduce happiness. I mean, that's extraordinary. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, there's quite, I mean, there's, um, I think that one even actually concluded that it wasn't just even eating fast food, but actually being a kind of around fast food imagery had a negative really? impact. Really? So you didn't actually have to eat it? Yeah. So it's, it was, not like, it was a, it's not like a nutritional detriment. It, it was a really interesting study that, um, and the, the book's kind of got quite a few things in like that, in it like that that are actually quite surprising. So should we cross the road to the other side if we see a fast food joint coming up, and, <laughs> and, you know? put our hands up, blinker our eyes that we can't see it and take in that imagery or that, what is it, the colour, the noise, the 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 links with our brains being told, oh, you want to go and eat this really cheap burger or whatever. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was one of those studies where you kind of, um, really, it would be good to kind of delve into it further and really find, you know, do for people to do more research and really find out exactly what's going on. But uh, I think with, with all of these things, it's a case of small changes might make, uh, cumulatively might make a big difference. So, it's not about, you know, people worrying too much about one particular thing, but it's about learning about all the different things that, that can have an influence on how we feel and just kind of having those in the back of our minds so we can think about how we might steer away from some of the things that have a negative impact and steer a little bit more towards some of the ones that, that have a positive impact. There's another study from Germany in 2011. This was also really fascinating because this looked into, quote, going on holiday. And you might think that that's a fantastic thing. I'm going on holiday. It's going to make me a lot happier. But it concluded that happiness from going on holiday was more likely to be short lived. So it was kind of almost saying, well, you might get a bit of pleasure at the time, but, you know, longer term, there's not really much benefit. Yeah. So again, it's one of those things that that kind of makes us sort of stop and think. And, you know, it's easy to kind of think, oh, you know, well, I've I've had a couple of holidays this year. You know, that's that's enough. I must be fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. That's enough to give me my boost for the year. You know, but as you say, actually, the benefit of that to happiness can be short lived. So it's worth exploring some of these other things, which can be a little bit more, a little bit more unexpected or a little bit less talked about that might actually have a longer term impact on our well-being. How did you find these studies and check them for authenticity and value? Did you have to screen out a lot of 
other stuff and distill it into the ones that you felt would actually be most helpful and relevant to us, let's face it, in our kind of everyday lives? Yes, there's an awful lot of uh, research out there. These are all studies that are carried out by university researchers and have been published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. So we know that there's a certain level of, of robustness and quality to them. And yeah, then, that's quite a high bar, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of how we find them, that so there are kind of databases of these academic research papers, which you can search, just like doing a Google search. And yeah, I spent many hours digging around, trying to get a good variety of different things. And, um, and as I say, find some of those things which are a little bit less well-known and less talked about. Mm. Well, in the book, Ariane, she adds her own comedic take shall we say, on the scientific <laughs> findings. And it is it is funny. It's a good read. It, it makes you smile. But it's not just intended to be a funny book, is it? Do you think that people are going to be genuinely helped by this? Absolutely, yeah. So we wanted people to enjoy reading the book, as I said, and for it to be something you could pick up and dip in and out of. So it's intended to be a fun read, but ultimately we want people to have the benefit of some of this knowledge that's kind of buried away in the academic literature and to be able to apply it hopefully to help them in their own day-to-day lives to feel happier. Well we're going to take a quick break now but we will be back and we will be drilling down into that data and quizzing David a little bit further as to what conclusions he has reached about being happy following the research carried out for his latest book and hopefully he will give us some brilliant tips. Don't go away. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Well, welcome back. And I'm chatting today with public health expert David Conrad on the subject of being happy. Well, David, talking about more of the how of happy, you have had some input in the book from a range of well-known people as well. So talk us through some of their involvement. Yeah, we've been really lucky that um, so Ariane's got quite a, a Rolodex from some some of her previous work as a she's worked as a comedy writer. She's done stand up comedy as well as writing for various national newspapers and publications and so on. So she's she's built up quite a contact list of people, particularly in the sort of media and, and comedy arena that have also contributed to some of her previous work as well. So we've got people like Darren Brown, Stuart Lee, Jeremy Vine, uh, Robin Ince, Arthur Smith. And they've given us a little bit of their time to talk about uh, their take on happiness and the things that they do to make them feel happier in their lives as well. And I think now we're in a stage where we are being perhaps a little bit more reflective about the damage and the massive impact, particularly on mental health, that the last couple of years has happened. and. Although we seem to be moving past that, there still doesn't seem to be a whole lot to smile about in the world right now. Was this very much in your mind when you were writing the book? Were you influenced by the current climate and mood? Yeah, so we came up with the idea for the book before COVID happened. But certainly, you know, when I was sitting at home during lockdown, working on the book, you know, it was never far from your mind. And although, as we've said, the book's hopefully a, a fun read, I think it just kind of brings home that happiness is a really important topic and it's something that, you know, can easily sort of take for granted and can easily be taken away. So, as I said, we we can sometimes think of it as a, as almost a sort of a frivolous or luxurious thing to be you know, worrying about our happiness, but but it is a really important aspect of, of our health. And, you know, at any period of time, even when times are good and, you know, the economy's booming and we're not living through a global pandemic, it's important that we take the time to think about our happiness and mental well-being. It's easy not to, you know, when we're all so busy and stressed out and have so many pressures. Yeah, I think that was maybe one of the very few benefits potentially of lockdown is that we did have this kind of collective experience of all being in it together and finding the simpler things to entertain ourselves with, whether it was entertaining the kids at home with games, doing a bit of workout in, you know, your own sitting room, getting into things. I mean, people are doing things like, you know, making banana bread and getting into sourdough and picking up a paintbrush for the first time or sitting down and just taking some time out to do something a bit more mindful, like a jigsaw puzzle or a bit of crochet or whatever. I mean, it did seem to simplify some of the elements of life as it was kind of normal life quotes was put on hold. Are you saying that those are the kinds of things that we should be perhaps holding on to as one of the the good things that we might have experienced in that time? Yes, we look at kind of a whole range of different types of things in the book. And, and you know, we have got a section that is very much about those kind of the role of relationships in our lives, spending time with 
family and friends. We also talk about uh, mindfulness in the book and, and what the evidence is around that. And you know, it's very much the case that different things will work for different people. But ultimately, it's all about taking the time for the things that make us happy as individuals and, and, and taking the time to understand what those things are and being able to do more of them. So that's definitely important. And we talk a lot here on this podcast often about community and family and, you know, all coming together. But what about people who are on their own, who live on their own, whether by choice or by circumstance? Is there an issue generally with happiness if you are on your own? Or is it possible to be perfectly happy and live solo? Yes, we investigate this in the book where we, we have that whole section where we're looking at different aspects of relationships. And um, again, it's kind of, it can be a complicated one. And it depends very much on, on individual circumstances. So, you know, for example, you know, we look at the, uh, you know, the question of whether people who are married are happier than people who aren't. And, you know, the evidence is, you know, is quite interesting around these things when you dig into them, because it's often little, um, it, it's the particular circumstances that can that can make the difference uh, absolutely i think that's <laughs> i think that pretty much sums it up yes that's the <laughs> depends who you uh, who you're married to and uh, but bottom line can you be happy on your own you can be happy on your own you certainly you're, you are better being on your own than being with um being with the wrong people <laughs> that's good that's to know good. so that's a positive isn't it yes even if somebody listening to this is feeling lonely and alone actually it is better to be on your own and solo than than with the wrong people who can be destructive and damaging and I guess there is that difference isn't there between lonely and alone they're not the same are they that's very true and and you know and the two things can get mixed up together so yeah so there's a difference between being um on your own or socially isolated and feeling lonely which is very much about you know feeling unhappy because you are not with other people but people are different and and have different levels of need around social contact so it is very much an individual thing I remember I did a little mini series for ITV on the blue zones where people they've identified places all around the world where people live a much longer length of time than average and one of the places that we were filming in was a little Greek island called Ikaria. And there's a very, very high percentage of centenarians. And honestly, the people I met, the smiles on their faces, they were living really simple lives with community. And there seemed to be this multi-generational living where grandma or great grandma was, you know, in the kitchen, sitting in front of the fireplace, you know, with her grandchildren, great grandchildren, part of the family. And I actually asked one of the families that we were visiting how many care homes there were on the island for elderly people. And uh, they kind of looked puzzled and the translator was saying, sorry, we don't really understand the question. You know, you saying how many caring homes there are. And I said, no, no, care homes, you know, residential places for older people in the community who don't live with you. And I said, what do you mean they don't live with you? I mean, everybody, you know, of course, our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents would come and live with us. And, you know, they don't have any care homes for old people. I mean, obviously they'd have you know, medical respite places, but in terms of elderly residential homes. And 
it seems that we've almost lost something, haven't we, with the, the fact that we're working in different places, we're separated. Obviously, we're not living in those small communities. It's just not practical and not possible for so many to live like that. But do you think that having different generations and access to different age ranges can also have an impact on happiness? Yeah, so again, we talk about spending time with grandchildren and things is one of the topics that we cover in the book. And I think, again, as as we've said, you know, it's very easy to, with all the pressures and everything of busy modern lives, that we sometimes have lost some of those simpler things that actually boost our well-being. And, you know, it's about understanding what the evidence is around some of those and and being able to sort of have a a stop and think and, and get some of that back. One of the studies that we looked at in the book was focused on a group of people who were, you know, possibly, you know, living in some of the economically poorest circumstances almost anyway you know they were in a, in a, you know, in a poor country in a, in a very very difficult jobs earning very 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 little money living in very hard circumstances often you know not having enough money for food and it was looking at how how they still find ways to find happiness through doing things that don't necessarily you know cost money but it's about doing the things that give them a sense of meaning and, and being around the people that make them happy Oh, absolutely. I'd spend a fair bit of time in East Africa for various humanitarian projects and and research. I have family based over there. And when you travel around, particularly the rural regions of places like Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Malawi, such poverty and deprivation and lack of facilities, lack of basic facilities. And yet the smiles on the faces and the generosity of spirit you know they'd share their last cup of beans with you because that's just what being human is about and there are some significant messages and learnings I think from that I always come away feeling much happier and humbled and inspired because I guess if you asked them what their level of happiness was they would potentially score much higher than people in the western world that have kind of just more stuff yeah absolutely and you know we we talk about the role of money and possessions and and kind of you know buying and experiencing luxury goods you know and it's one of those things that you know for some individuals can help them make them feel happier but it's very much one aspect of you know what can influence our happiness and you know there's a whole load of other things that we can do that uh, you know that aren't about money and, and consumption which again you know it's sometimes easy to uh easy to forget yeah, I mean, I, I find the only problem with, you know, saving up and buying something expensive is then I just feel incredibly guilty afterwards and then worried that I might get damaged. So it's kind of not really contributing to my overall happiness. But if we talk about our overall health and well-being, what are the things that you think that we should all be spending a bit more time thinking about and hopefully pursuing in terms of creating a bit more happiness within us? Yes, yeah, so as I say, we've kind of gone through uh, a whole range of different things, spending time with friends and family, whether it's about um, doing things that uh, you know help us to relax, like mindfulness and so on. One of the things that was kind of a big question that I was keen to look at in the book was actually out of all these different things. And as I say, you know, it's kind of a, it's not a one size fits all in terms of those individual things, but is the overall pursuit of happiness actually a beneficial exercise you know or, or are and we what, and what's your verdict <laughs> well we, we finish off the book with a couple of studies that, that actually look at this question and um 
you know, one of them provided some good evidence that the conscious pursuit of happiness can be beneficial, but only if it's accompanied by doing some of those practical things that will actually help us to achieve it. So in other words, just trying to feel happier on its own is not enough. You need to be doing the things that are beneficial for your happiness in order to get the, get the full effect. And the other was looking at whether dreaming of future happiness is beneficial or whether it sets us up for disappointment in the future. And what they found was that it has a benefit for some people because it helps to give their lives meaning because you know that gives them something that they can focus on. And for people for whom having a sense of meaning in life is a really important aspect of what makes them happy, it's a useful strategy to be dreaming about future happiness. But for others where that's less of a, an important factor, it might set you up for disappointment. So it very much depends on the individual. After writing the book, did you change the way you live in any way to bring about more happiness for yourself? I think I I was happy when I <laughs> finished the book. Was always a good work. feeling. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it really did make me reflect on on a few things. Particularly, one of the things that stood out for me was that um, it's not simply about uh, you know it can seem like a selfish pursuit to think about oh, what's going to make me happier and, and just you know, worrying about how I feel but actually one of the one of the really interesting things we found was that um, doing things for other people and doing small acts of kindness for other people can actually be more beneficial for our level of happiness than just doing quick things that are going to make make us feel better like you know I'll have that chocolate bar or something and that was something that really kind of struck home for me that you know pursuit of happiness doesn't have to be just a selfish thing it's actually about how you relate to other people as well and interesting I'd quite like just to add something to that because I have a friend who comes to see me reasonably regularly who's struggling with life and changes and, and mental health and often will offer to do something in the house, you know, really simple. You know, they can see that I'm busy doing stuff and they'll say, oh, let me just do this. Let me help you and let me do this task. Now, I know that I could do it 100 times better, quicker, you know, whatever, more efficiently. But actually, I do see that enabling that person to say, yeah, you know, of course, you know, that would be great. Thank you very much. I'd, I'd love it if you could give me a hand. And I can see their demeanour then change. And, and that's interesting that you've put it like that, because it is doing things for other people that make you feel happier. But also, so you could say, yes, that's the thing that I'm going to do to, to do for other people. But also perhaps be aware that if there are other people around you who are struggling a little bit, who, you know, aren't quite as capable, but actually let them do it because it's going to improve their level of happiness. I hadn't yeah. actually thought about it like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, you know, having a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning is very important. So, you know, doing some of those small day-to-day -day things that help give us that can be really beneficial and um, make them feel valued I mean I know that if I just said to this person actually no don't bother it's fine I can do it they're a bit deflated yeah absolutely it's and it is very often those 
those small little tweaks that we can make to how we think and how we approach life and how we, uh, you know, and how we relate to other people that can, you know, they might at the time when we're doing them, it might not think, oh, you know, suddenly I've got a, oh, you know, a wave of euphoria swept over me, but, but they add up, you know, and those small changes can make a difference over time. And do you do anything physical? Kind of last question. Has it made you rethink your your overall sort of fitness, your dietary patterns? These are kind of things that we often talk about here on the show. Is there any particular wellness hacks that you have decided? Actually, do you know what? After looking at the research, that one is worth going for. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, an old mantra, but exercise is definitely the big one. I mean, it's not only um, crucial for our physical health, but we also know that it can play a big role in in our mental well-being as well. That's one of those where myself included, and I know a lot of other people, you know, they feel a boost when they when they do exercise, you know, whether that's going to the gym or out in the, you know, doing some gardening or whatever it is. And um, it's one of those that when you're feeling a bit down, you sometimes don't feel like, but if you can break that cycle, you know, and I very much started doing this more since I've been researching this book, you can kind of force yourself to go, oh, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get on the exercise bike or whatever it might be. You do feel better afterwards and it's better for health all around. So that's probably one of the big kind of simple takeaways is incorporating exercise into your day-to-day life. Yeah, as my great friend and fitness trainer Michael Gary says and he trains lots of people far more able than than me who says I have never known anyone go for a run that they then later regretted you do feel so much better for it and of course it doesn't have to be a run does it it could just be a walk it's getting outside there seems to be something about the outdoor element isn't there that's that has an impact yeah yeah absolutely and um that's one of those things as well that can um, have a, an impact on health. I remember we, we, when we did the, the previous book, we looked at the, the impact of uh, of just being out in the, uh, you know, seeing greenery. And there's quite a strong link there, you know, with health and being, even just looking at images of countryside, it turned out was good for people's health, even if they weren't in it. <laughs> well, I, I totally, I, I read that research too. And I converted my garage into a little workout gym space. And it's quite small, but on one wall, I painted it green and a friend of mine painted a forest mural on it because I thought, well, if I can't be outside, you know, actually looking at the real thing, I'm going to be inside looking at a picture of it and hopefully it will make me feel happier. Absolutely. Sounds crazy, but the science backs it up. Oh, well, I love that. Thank you for confirming. Uh, David, I feel inspired. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. The uh, The book, The How of Happy, due out in November. I do think it would make a fantastic Christmas present. So I wish you lots of luck with it. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Well, as ever, thank you to you for listening. I hope you feel a bit happier. You can find more information with all the links and resources, things we've talked about today and more over on lizardwellbeing.com. And then you can also sign up for the free weekly newsletter filled with plenty of tips for living well and hopefully feeling a bit happier. And don't forget, you've got more advice, research, articles and recipes, of course, in the bi-monthly magazine, Lizard Wellbeing. Until the next time we chat, go well, stay happy. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is a Fresh Air production. With thanks to my producers, Ellie Smith and Sarah Moore.
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.